0: Hello and welcome to expected value the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from true media. This is episode 67 of the show. Not a lot of great players have worn number 67. So I'm calling this the Bob Kuchenberg episode for the great great former Dolphins offensive lineman who should be in the Hall of Fame. In my somewhat biased opinion, Kuchenberg has excelled at a couple different O-line spots, sort of like today's guest has excelled at several different levels of baseball. Uh, The college baseball season ended a couple weeks ago as LSU beat Florida two games to one, in the best of three championship series. The whole tournament in Omaha was one of the great ones an all-time game when LSU beat Wake Forest in extra innings to reach the championship series, among other things. And we like to talk with someone from the winning team, especially if they happen to be one of our clients, like this year. So last year we had Chris Cleary from Ole Miss on the show. You can find that one in our archives. This year it's former LSU pitching coach Wes Johnson. I say former because he took the Georgia head coach job before this past season ended, and then finished the tournament with LSU before shifting over to the Bulldogs full-time. He's had a pretty interesting career path, started in high school baseball, climbed the collegiate ladder to the SEC with a couple different schools, and went straight to the majors as the Twins pitching coach, a jump few if any people have ever made directly uh, before joining LSU and now Georgia. So in our conversation, Wes and I will talk about his whirlwind last month, winning a national title and changing jobs, his career journey, different data he's had available, from the mid-majors in college to the SEC to MLB, what's different about game prep at the MLB level compared to the SEC, tailoring data and information for different pitchers and hitters, how data factors into the recruiting process now, whether it's through the portal or incoming high school players, Uh, communicating data with players, being communicated with by analysts, and his favorite moment from winning the national championship. Then producer Sergio de la Esprilla, a Florida alum, sadly will join me to react and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the Expected Value conversation with Georgia head coach, former LSU pitching coach, Wes Johnson. We're joined now on Expected Value by Wes Johnson, national champion pitching coach with LSU. He's now the Georgia head coach. Wes, thanks for joining us on the show. It's been a month since you were named Georgia head coach. Obviously, a whirlwind last month for you. Let's just start there. What's it been like? New job, national title crazy month for you
1: well let me start off by saying thanks for having me obviously huge fan of of uh true media and and have used it now for a while and can't say enough good things about it um man the last month guys it's it's been it's been unreal i i I guess what i did is is i compared it to a time back in, in 2019 when i was with the twins and we had a i think we played 18 or 19 games in 17 or 18 days and there was a West coast swing. We were back home. We had to go back to the West coast and you just wake up every, you don't even know what, what hotel room you're in. And, and that's been real similar, I think. Uh, and, and you don't sleep a lot, um, but that's why we got caffeine, right? <laughs> that's so, right. Keeps but us going. It, it was, it was, uh, you know, my days were, were were pretty power packed. I was getting up, you know, around five, five thirty, and I was game prepping for, for LSU, for the opponents we had. And then, uh, you know, starting about the mid-morning, I-, I would jump on the phone with some, you know, uh, with with current players at Georgia, and then obviously starting to recruit recruit out of the portal. And uh, so, it, man, it's it, it to to win that national title and be able to do all that—that's uh, something I'll never forget.
0: So let's let's start here by laying a little bit of groundwork, just telling people about your career. Had some unconventional turns. Let me start just back at the beginning, career-wise. How did you get into coaching in the first place, starting at the high school level? Oh,
1: man. Um, Yeah, just, you know, wanted uh, played, obviously wanted to when I got done, I really wanted to continue in the game. And um, it was kind of funny. Didn't know exactly what I was going to do when I got done playing and got my degree and had some people start asking me to coach some summer teams. Uh, Summer ball AAU at that time was getting really big. Um, And so jumped in, started doing some AAU, had a, a semester of school left. Um, finished it up and said you know I'm, I'm gonna do this I'm, I'm I'm gonna get into it and started there started at the high school level um, you know coached there for ten years uh, at, the, at the high school level in, in different roles and different capacities and um, was able to uh you know win a state title one of my years there as a head coach and had a runner-up year I mean just was very fortunate to have some really good players back then and um I tell you what, coaching high school baseball, it'll make you a better coach. When I think we get to this level and we forget back in those days, you were you were teaching some guys how to catch a fly ball in the air. So, um, but yeah, then from there, I uh, had some people reach out to me about some opportunities at some small colleges and uh decided to do that. Uh went to work at Central Arkansas. Um I worked in various roles there. Um from there, just yeah, just Continued journey through Southern Arkansas. Uh, things really sped up and started to pick up speed when I got to Dallas Baptist. Um, was able to really get in there with Dan Hefner, who's obviously a phenomenal, you know, head coach and had a ton of success there. And uh, anyway, so went through and um, you know was with Dallas Baptist. Was able to go then left there and was able to get into the SEC. Uh, my time in the SEC has been been a lot of fun um we uh 2016 I was at Mississippi State we won the league outright and we're, we're a national seed and actually lost to Arizona they walked us off Jay Johnson was the head coach of that team okay <laughs> they walked us off in 2016 to go to Omaha um and then 2017 2018 at Arkansas then uh, was approached by some major league baseball teams to be a uh, pitching coach ultimately decided to go with the Minnesota Twins I uh, was there. We won back-to-back Central Division titles in 19 and 20. Um, and then left, left there to come to LSU and, had, you know, didn't have any – just had my head down going to work, and we were having a good season, in Georgia called. And that's kind of how it happened. And uh, so now, now I'm there.
0: Let me start some of those small colleges that you started with, Central and Southern Arkansas, uh, Dallas Baptist, really not small in the college baseball world. This wasn't that long ago. This is 10, 15 years ago. From a data information you know, prep standpoint, what sort of info was available to you at that kind of mid-major-ish level at that point?
1: Man, it was tough back in the Central Arkansas days because, you know, that's back when you would call somebody and they would fax you or, um, you know, if you could get them to email it back then, it was it. Was that's it. a win. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of being on the phone and writing down, hey, man, this guy does this. Man, can you fax me this? Your notes on this guy. And the challenge back then was being at a smaller school is you may call, you know, you may have had Ole Miss during the midweek and you're calling Arkansas for their report. And Arkansas's guys are throwing 92 to 93, and my guys are throwing 88. So thinking that we can pitch them the say it was, it was very, very, um, You know, I I look back, though, too, and I think at those times that that's what led me to data was I was going, okay, I need to know how to get guys out throwing 88, not throwing 93. We're we're not comparing apples to apples here. And but we we didn't have a choice and and you didn't have video like you have now. And and then when I got to Dallas Baptist, I was able to to um, we were able to you know, I was able to start tracking more things. Uh, I, I had looked into pitch FX. I had started talking to some people. I was doing a lot of biomechanical work at the time. So I was getting like data from a different perspective, uh, on players just from a development standpoint, but was needing it for the games. And then we finally, we, we got Tableau and, uh, which is product. And we got TrackMan, and I just started doing it myself. Um, it, we, we didn't know, you know, that there was no other way. So, um, yeah, start, that that's when it really started to ramp up because I started to see where some guys could could A pitch to have success and then be what we needed to do to continue to develop players.
0: So then you make that jump to the SEC. You've been at several different schools there. Right now, obviously a very different time. What from a data information standpoint, what does a typical SEC school have? Whether it's you know tracking video, what are the key yeah, yeah, tools I mean, that I, most teams I, are using? I
1: can't speak for for every school. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah, just in general. Have, yeah, the majority of schools have TrackMan. The majority of schools have some version of uh, of a video device, whether it be bats or you know something along those lines. And um, and then a lot of schools are moving to True Media uh, just because we have to you know they're seeing the value of it it's it's funny now it kind of trick, trickles down where they get a few people in into a big league front office or whatever it is and then it's like hey what are you guys doing for for uh, game planning and so forth and development and they're like we use true media and so now it's starting to trickle down but I, I would say for the most part everybody has trackman has has some form of of a video software and and, and then they're using a true media type program
0: yeah. And then just beyond the data information, I mean, I'll speak for myself, you know, we at True Media got into college baseball the last three years or so, and I was surprised at how big the sport has become, especially in the SEC. How have you seen SEC baseball on the whole evolve and change over your you know, decade or so in the league?
1: Well, I, you know, it's funny. I, I was in it in 18 and then left for four years. And so in 18, it was like, I felt like I had, I had the secret sauce. Uh-huh. it was maybe me and one or two other teams that were really looking at analytics. And, and, and I was, I was able to quote unquote have a cheat code right um, on, on attacking game planning and hitters and so forth in development. And now that I've come back, that cheat code's gone. So <laughs> in four years it's made, it's made a monumental leap. And when you look at it more, you know, people now are hiring people to put into an, you know, in, in their baseball staff and saying, this guy's just strictly dealing with analytics. Mm-hmm. So it, it's come a long ways. And, and now it's about who can stay ahead, right? Yeah. Um, uh, who can keep pushing the envelope with it?
0: Yeah. So since uh, this is kind of the eternal question, I think, for a coach, but once the playing field is leveled out and you know, you, you're all working with roughly the same information, like, where do you go to find an edge? I mean, this is, I guess, this is kind of how do you do your job sort of thing. But, you know, what are, what are a couple of keys, I guess, to, to look for that edge or, or ways that you can gain an advantage when you're all working from the same info?
1: Well, I won't give you all the answers to that question. Uh, of course. That's some secrets. But right. I, I think it's this, right? I mean, I'll use professional baseball and, okay. and, and, and I won't name team names, but there are certain teams who, um, Continue to to jump out and stay two or three years ahead of other teams because the systems they had put in place uh, when this when this whole uh, data you know revolution or whatever we want to call it this data age emerged and um, so they're continuing to to build systems that and find different things that are keeping them ahead whether it be the value of a player uh, when, when you look at war or whether it be, yes, we know for sure if this guy is throwing from this release height with this much break that he is going to be a guy. And, I, and instead of still kind of guessing and going, well, I don't know, it doesn't look right, they are 100% taking the objective data and, and pushing the envelope with it. And, and that's what that's what I'm doing. Um, I've got some things in place when, when you look at uh, – even though I think the playing field was level when I got back in, I feel like I'm still a, you know, I still got the lead in the race coming from, you know, major league baseball. And I want to try to build that gap. And I'm doing that with just some systems with uh, some different, different things we're, we're obviously really looking at through true media to continue to try to keep that gap. Mm-hmm. And and the more you're looking out there uh, instead of just learning it right now, it, you're able to continue to do that. And I think there's guys in college baseball, especially coaches, you know, they're, they're they're still, they're still a little bit, um, I won't say reserved or I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. They're just, they're not ready to completely pull the trigger. They're still going, man, I need the guy who throws 95 and I need this, this and this. And man, there may be a guy who throws 90 with a better fastball with, with better swing and miss. And so, I think continuing to stay, you know, to use an example, to stay in that mindset is what uh, you're able to do to continue to create an advantage.
0: At the MLB level, compared to say the SEC, what's different about the resources you have, either from a data and/or support standpoint?
1: Yeah, it's a massive. It's it's, you know, I'm going to say, well, heck, it's got to be more than that. I'm going to say there's. You know, they look at, there's not a stone unturned there, right? I mean, when you, you look at positioning, uh, how well does this guy go to his right or this guy go to his left? And then, you know, the the model may show that we need to be in, in a slight pull, but we know our shortstop goes to our right really well, so we're not going to shade him as much. Um, all the way to, we feel really good about, what this guy's stuff is. So we're, you know, whatever pitcher we're facing, we have a system in place to, um, you know, prepare for him before a start. Uh, I think all the count leverage sheets are becoming really huge that, that, that guys are looking at and and being able to use when, when hitters come into the, just why, I mean, right. I mean, you watch the game now and it's like, how was that guy sitting on that one, two, you know, whatever, and hits it five hundred feet. Right. Well it's the information that they're getting, and so you know th- those those heck, I-, I would I would probably guess that most teams now have an analytic department uh, of a minimum of fifteen people, mm-hmm. um, and ten to fifteen at minimum, and then obviously the the you know the more aggressive teams probably have upwards of 20, 25. and, and you know so for for most schools even in the FCC if you can get one, you're doing good. If you get two, you are you're, you know, you're you're the Mets who have as much money as you want. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, how about from a, just an everyday prep standpoint? Obviously MLB has, you know, three times as many games. You're playing every day for much longer. How does that affect how you prepare compared to college where you have, you know, a midweek weekend series and everything's much more kind of compressed into a, a smaller time span?
1: Well when you're in the big leagues, you wake up and the first thing you do is get on true media. And um, <laughs> before you go to bed, the last thing you do is you're shutting your computer down and you're on true media. <laughs> so it's, it, it never quits uh, at that at the big league level. Like I can't, like I'm being dead serious. Like first thing you do, yeah, you may wake up and check an email or something, but then it's like, okay, I got to jump on here and look at who we're playing today. Um, who, you know, how does he match up against the starter we're throwing today? And then, when you get back to your hotel room or, or, you know, wherever you're at in your home city, you're looking at how that performed and then you go to bed and you get them do it all over again the next day where in college, it's more, um, to your point, you have a little more time to dissect the information. Um, it's just not so much go, 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 go. And, and that's one of the things I, I really like about getting back into college is now I'm able to teach a little more with it. Um, and and look as opposed to just going okay who's the next one and getting to the next game and get into it where i'm able to bring that player in and spend more time with them then then i was able to you know right when I was with the twins or at the big league level and so yeah i think that's it i think you know just time
0: how did the how did your three and a half seasons at the mlb level change kind of what you did you know you're coming back to college with a different perspective how did that What a couple main things that that affected the way you do things.
1: I told somebody the other day, I felt like I went and studied abroad for (laughs) three and a half years and um, was able, Thought thought I had a decent process before, but I think the biggest thing is, is finding, finding holes, right? I mean, pick your favorite, you know, well, we had Louis Arras. I had Louis when I was with the twins before they, they traded him in. My my whole thing there is is, Louis is a really good hitter. So finding a hole to get a guy out who hits four hundred is is hard to do. Yeah. So being able to really break him down, um, even though the hole is not very big at all, um, there's a hole. They all have one, and, and then finding a way to to take the pitcher with his stuff and match up to that is. is you know, it, if you really pull everything back, that that's some some things I was able to to bring you know back to college.
0: How much, in general, of pitching coach prep? How much do you focus on your guy, like your pitcher, versus how much do you focus on you know, studying the opposing hitters and finding those holes? How do you keep those things in balance?
1: Yeah, I think it, it's it's individualized, right? So so I had a young man this this year, Paul Schemes, who's really really good. He's probably going to be you know one of the top picks in the draft this year, and. Um, You know, he throws 100. And so when you have that guy, we have to make (laughs) sure we never get away from his strengths. Right. right? Uh, He throws 100. He's got, you know, he's probably got a a 65-grade slider, 60-grade changeup, you know, another 65-grade curveball. And his fastball is probably grading out at, you know, a 70. So you never get away from his strengths no matter what. Mm Mm-hmm. When you get to your other guys who, you know, are, are more your average college right handers who maybe, you know, 92, 93, um, and they've got a good slider and they've got, you know, good, then we're gonna really match it up like like you do more in into the big leagues, where you go, okay, <clears throat> hey, here's your strength. Now, these are the certain guys we're gonna go, quote, strength on strength. Hey, this guy, we're gonna pitch him a little backwards. Your best pitch is your best secondary pitch is your slider. So that's how we're going to attack him is we're going to use your slider and then we'll get to your fastball as opposed to just going, hey, let's try the curveball, let's try the changeup. I- I'm going to take the strengths of what he does well, look at that hitter's weakness, and then try to blend them that way.
0: You mentioned Paul Skeens who came into LSU from Air Force via the transfer portal, which is obviously changed a whole lot of stuff, college baseball, college sports in general looking at that portal, how do you factor stats, numbers? Obviously, you know, Skeens is not a guy that requires a lot of advanced analytics to realize he's good, but how do you use numbers to try and figure out who might be a transfer portal target?
1: Well, you know, I, I, you know, here we can talk about Paul. One of the things that got me was, you know, he had a good fastball. It was 96, 98 at the time. Um, Quite frankly, I mean, the slider was not good uh, metrically at all. And the changeup was just, I mean, the changeup was okay. It was just uh, as you know, and I don't want to get into changeups too much, but uh, it was just a speed it, that uh-huh. speed thing for him. So it was just okay from a movement standpoint. So you looked at it and you go, okay, the fastball can play. Uh, do I think I can get him a slider? Do I think I can get him, uh, you know, a changeup? And then not only that, can I continue to develop his fastball? And so, no matter who it is in the portal, those are kind of the things I go through. It's yes, you're looking at some numbers. You have to take into account. I think that that's where um, I don't want to give away all my secrets on yeah, what yeah. we're doing, but but at the end of the day, I mean, you're taking into account what can I enhance that will play at the level I, you know, that we're currently playing at, meaning our competition. And, and Paul really fit that. Um, and then you know, talking with him, it was like, hey, he knew he needed to get his slider better. He knew that the changeup was a good pitch for him, or he was getting decent results on it but it needed to move more. And so when, when those conversations start to happen, th- then you know you start to have potentially a match with somebody in the portal.
0: Does that go by beyond the portal? Just are, are kids coming in? Or I guess ask how much do incoming kids, whether it's freshman portal, how much are they looking for data-wise?
1: Uh, believe it or not, right now, there's a lot. There's more and more quote-unquote labs being built mm-hmm. um, where players are coming in and they're going, hey, we have... Uh, you know, I know that my fastball has 20 inches of induced vertical break on it. And, you know, then we start to talk about release height and see if that actually plays because, you know, it's like I've told him, I said, hey, there are guys who have 22 inches of induced vertical break and debate based on their release height, it, it can not play like carry. So, um, and then there's guys with 17 inches of induced vertical break and they have a certain release height and it plays like true carry. So, trying to, you know, good they know their metrics and then that speeds up our, you know, our conversation to to the development piece of of everything we're doing.
0: As for you from the pitching coach side or head coach doesn't really matter. What is important if if I'm an analyst and I need to communicate information to you or give you information whether it's MLB college level or whatever. What's important for someone like me to know about giving you that information from a communicated to you standpoint.
1: Yeah, I, I want to know if there's a pitch. I always start with just, hey, do they have a foundation? Do they have a pitch, whether it be a curveball, slider, change up, or fastball, that plays and either is uh, you know, unique in its movement and the release height, meaning there's deception, or it's just, you know, hey, he can he can power through this because there's a velocity or a late break on a slider. And so I always just start out, hey, I don't need five pitches. I need one to start.
0: Right, what's different about this guy?
1: Yeah, what's, what makes him unique? And, and then from there, we can start to piece together a plan for him and, and attack hitters with it from different – because if we have one swing and miss, th- then we have a chance. We've just got to find a way to get to that two-strike count. And, and there's ways. There's different paths.
0: And as you communicate information to players – uh, obviously, everyone you know learns a little bit differently. How do you tailor that? Whether it's you know graphics, da- data, tables, whatever. How do you tailor and work with different players different ways?
1: Yeah, I'm just real big. On, I hold class. I mean, I, I bring him in. You know, we were talking about Paul earlier, and he's easy to talk about. But um, one of the things I think that really, really helped him, and he had success, is we gave him access to True Media, and, and he sat there and he was locked in, and he's like, okay, yes. I can pull up and see how this guy's done on a fastball similar to mine and what areas can I attack him with. And so as I was sitting down and game planning with him, he was also there as well, so to speak. He already knew some things coming in going, okay, yeah, my fastball plays into this guy, plays away to this guy. Um, and so when you look at how you develop a plan with the player, I think it's bringing them in. I think it's educating them and, and showing them – 90% of your players want to know, you know what makes them unique and what makes them special, and that's what I talked to them about. Hey, here's what makes you unique. Here's what makes you special. Here's your path to professional baseball and potentially the big leagues if we can continue to do X, Y, and Z and then get X, Y, and Z better.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me uh, finish this segment off. A question from our guy, Brad McKinney, who I know you worked with at the Twins. He wants to know, Brad's always looking for the next guy, any under the radar SEC pitchers that you think could make the jump in the next year, you know, a first rounder that we're talking about a year from now?
1: Yeah, there are quite a few of them actually. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think Chase Burns is special. We know he has a now slider. Uh, there's some things he's got to he's got to clean up. Um, I really like the uh, Luke Coleman from Alabama. Uh, another young man, or they're they're actually both in the portal right now. Um, they both have, you know, as I talked about earlier, when you look at, and and those aren't really outliers; those are guys who who are out there on the front. But um, I I, will, I wouldn't say they're solidified top ten picks. Um, they need to continue to progress. But yeah, no, I mean we could go down. The Caglione from from Florida has a special fastball. Um, obviously, you know is is a good player. I yeah, there, there's man, there's there's quite a few. We have a couple that um at georgia that i'm really excited about uh i think i think chandler marsh uh, has some things we're gonna i I think there's a lot of guys but you know just off the top of it those big three right there are are unique all have a chance to pitch in the big leagues and I, i don't think they're solidified top 10 picks and i think they're gonna be it's gonna be really cool to see how they develop over the next 10 months and and see if they make that jump into that 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 you know elite group of top ten players in the country.
0: So we wrap things up with our playing favorite segment rescue asking you a handful of quick hitters about your favorite things. Let me start with your favorite number and why.
1: Well, it's kind of crazy on on the number thing. So when I I've always been about the players, and uh, you know I used to tell guys they'd say, "Hey, what's your number?" I'm like, "I don't care. My day in the sun's long gone." <laughs> you want a certain number. I'm going to make sure you get it. Well, my first year as a head coach in, in um coaching high school baseball, I had, I had worn number two for a while and, and, and a player won. I said, fine, you can have it. And I said, Hey, just give me 47. Nobody's going to want 47. <laughs> and so what was funny is, is I, and so I'd worn it and I don't wear a Jersey much. And, and that had been my number. I had a stop where it was forty at Dallas Baptist, and I was fine with that. But then when I got to the Twins, they gave me forty-seven. I'm like, hold on, this was Jack <laughs> Morris's number. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, so I've been, yeah. But there's been a lot of stops where I've been forty-seven. One year I was forty. So, um, that that's my number there. Yeah, I, like I, I just I want to make sure the player it's his time. It's his. It's his. You know, you stay of the way. I, if somebody wants 47, they can have it. So I'll move to something else.
0: All right. Your, who was your favorite player when you were a kid?
1: Oh man, there there was a lot. Um, you know, I, I, I really liked Cal Ripken. Uh, he was just the Iron Man back in the day, big Ryan Sandberg fan. Uh, you know, it was back. That's Cubs were on. They were on all the time, you know, WGN day baseball, uh, Ryan Sandberg. Yeah. I, I would say those two guys.
0: Nice. No, I just finished reading a book about Ripken's streak, which is, yeah, just insightful. is all the things you had to go through and, and everything. Uh, your favorite MLB city to visit? You're on the road, three game series. Favorite place you'd want to go? Uh,
1: when when we were, we only went once when I was there. I really enjoyed Miami the way it was set up for us. Um, enjoyed Miami. If you talk divisional, man, really I'm just a big fan of Chicago. Well, we, we played the White Sox obviously 19 times a year. Well, they changed it this year, but when I was there and just being in Chicago. Love it.
0: Yep. Yeah. Our producer Sergio is from Miami. So he'll be happy to hear you say that. Uh, favorite thing that's happened to you in the last month or so as a result of, of winning the national title, as much as you were able to uh, revel in it before switching jobs?
1: Man, you know, the favorite thing, uh, I, I tell you what, my, my son's a high school, our son's a high school basketball coach and him and his wife, they, they have their first one. So I'm actually a, a granddad our nice. grandson was there with us when we won the national title and got to run around on the field and throw up confetti. And it was funny. You asked that question. I was actually looking through those pictures last night and I'm like, man, how cool was that? I, you know, when you think about national titles, you don't think about, um, the people that are going to be there. But now that I've been able to reflect back, it's like having him there, man, that was awesome.
0: That's pretty cool. I like it. Uh, finally, do you have a favorite, how did I get here moment? You know, your career brings you somewhere cool and you're able to like, realize this is a a pretty fun impressive proud moment that i got here
1: man yeah i I, i've always been this guy who's just had my head down and went to work and and tried to get better every day and phone you you know the, the the cool one i'm not gonna lie to you opening day in 2019 my first big league game we we had cleveland and uh the place was sold out and i just remember looking around in that dugout going how did i get here yeah um you know, I think those "how do I get there" moments change a little bit each each time, but mm-hmm. that one is still real big for me. I just looking around, going, "Holy cow! I'm in the you know, I'm I'm coaching in the big leagues."
0: Yeah, I bet. No, that's a good story to end with. So, Wes Johnson, uh, Georgia head coach, congrats again on the national title with LSU. Thank you for joining us here on Expected Value.
1: All right, thanks, guys. Y'all have a great day.
0: Back in the True Media studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thank you again to Wes Johnson for joining us on the show. Best of luck to him with his new gig as the head coach at Georgia. I'm joined now by producer Sergio De La Espirella, a Florida alum, Sergio. So I apologize for making you produce a show with the LSU pitching coach who knocked out Florida in the championship series. I appreciate you persevering and working through it.
2: You know, it's been a year of runner-ups for me so far. <laughs> That's right. Um, and if, you know... Inter Miami he's not going to finish as a runner-up, so I think I can kind of count them out.
0: Messi, you never
2: know. Well, no, I think I do know, Paul. <laughs> I, I watch this team. <laughs> Just got to make the playoffs. Yeah, he can. He can take us out of the 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 cellar and, and take us to the playoff. Right. That I believe. Winning the thing, runner-up. Don't know. But if the other team that I love, um, the Miami Dolphins, are the runner-up, at least I can drag you down with me on
0: that That's right. As we're both Dolphin fans. We're going down with that ship together.
2: I I will interject, though. I am a bit disappointed that you didn't do as much research for number 67. Mm -hmm. And while I love your your pick, and as a Dolphin fan, I completely agree, should be a Hall of Famer. In 2021, Mm -hmm. when Mesut Ozil moved to Mm -hmm. Fenerbahce in Turkey... Because, as you know, he's uh, has Turkish or he's, right. he's from Turkey, Turkish, roots. Turkish yeah. roots, whatever. That was his boyhood club. When mm-hmm. he arrived in 2021, oh. he was assigned the jersey number 67. Nice. And according to that. his Wikipedia page, it is quote in reference to the license plate of his ancestral town Zonguldak. If you are Turkish, and I pronounce that incorrectly, you can <laughs> please you can send all of your um, complaints over to at Paul Carr <laughs> um, because his uh, number 10 was. Um, taken and so he picked up 67 in, a, in an emotional
0: move which Man, I'll, I'll be honest i didn't even think about looking up soccer players because who wears 67 in soccer who
2: wears 67 exactly i i remember being like i'm pretty sure some famous soccer player did that for an emotional nice. reason and he came up and i was like ah yeah. that's right i remember
0: yeah usually so. if you have 67 you're the 17 year old who just got called up from the youth squad because they need to fill a you know leagues cup game yeah and, on making Tuesday. your fa cup right
2: second round debut right for the yeah, team you see exactly. that when
0: those numbers start adding up to like 500 for the whole lineup you know yeah these these guys aren't aren't part of the rotation normally right now so all right so let's talk uh, west johnson always fun to get a national champion on the show even if they knocked out your alma mater in the championship series uh what did you think what what did you pull away from that conversation once you stopped hating him
2: Well, um, it was very easy to stop hating him because it was a fantastic conversation. And I thought it was a very, um, you know, we love unique paths here at at True Media and and Unexpected Value. But I was very surprised at how quickly in terms of the amount of stops he made to get to a head coaching position or manager position, whatever you want to call it. You know, he went high school to a position coach in the SEC, which is a pretty big step to go from one to the other. Then big league ball coach, uh, pitching coach, LSU, and now the head coach at Georgia. So I loved his path, and I think that his, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, you know, I just love the college level more because I love being with the players. And there's a lot of people that that's true. And for Wes, I do actually believe it in our conversations that we had on and off the air as well. Um, but it wasn't just a the hours are better, the pay is good. You know, he really does care, and it came across that. He wants to develop these players and these young men to be the best versions of themselves because, you know, the whole the, the age old ninety seven percent of whatever college athletes go pro in something other than sports. And I think to have someone of the character of Wes, um, and this is just in our you know the hour and fifteen minutes that I was able to speak to him and, and listen into the conversation, to have someone of of that character who truly cares, I think, is is very good for society as a whole, um, but especially. And I'm going to swallow a lot of pride when I say this. Good for the <laughs> University of Georgia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ooh. yeah, that's even worse than LSU from a Florida standpoint. It is. Right? It is. Yeah. Yes.
2: The only thing there there isn't a worse option. That's like rival number one at UF. So. Yeah, that's a tough
0: one. Yeah, I mean the the crib path is super interesting because I remember when he left the Twins for LSU. Like that's a kind of an eye opening step to go from major league pitching coach, where presumably you know you've got a manager job, at least possibility on the radar at some point from that to a college pitching coach, obviously one of the better collegiate programs out there, but yeah, it speaks to something we talked about on the show. Um, the progress, the growth, I guess, in collegiate baseball, especially in the sec is just, I mean, to me, it was just super surprising when we got into it a couple years ago and I started, you know, looking at behind the scenes facility tours and you see how many, you know, these, Teams are selling out every single game, you know, between five and 10,000 seats at every single game. Um, You know, it's better than any minor league facility atmosphere that that you're going to encounter. So it speaks to, you know, baseball is turning into kind of a revenue sport. You know, obviously there's football, which is second to none, Uh, men's basketball, women's basketball at some schools. And that's about it from like, you're making money. But baseball, I think these SEC, especially schools, are seeing this as this can be a moneymaker for us. Uh, both directly and indirectly, in the sense that you send a few key guys to the majors, they start getting, you know, eight, nine figure contracts. Some of that money is trickling back and it's just kind of a nice cycle. So it, it speaks a lot, I think. You know, I, I don't know the money that he was making with the Twins versus LSU versus Georgia, but the fact that he was able to make that move tells you enough that that's where there's just a whole lot of cash and a whole lot of growth that's happened in college baseball the last decade.
2: Well, it reminds me a lot of the kind of SEC football coaching revolution where, you know, there's this whole concept of do you get like an older established coach who's kind of grit their teeth and gone through 20 years, 25 years as a position coach or a coordinator? Or do you go with the young mind, you know, the Rams with Sean McVay, the Dolphins with Mike? You know, do you go with that younger mind that can go ahead and do that? And Wes isn't an old man by any stretch of the imagination. He's fairly young. And so it looks like, like you said, in these, in these now revenue sports or what could be revenue sports in the SEC, these, these things are kind of skewing a bit more younger and more, you know, more people in line with traditionally, I should say stuff that we do with advanced analytics and are embracing the, the numbers and situational and, and doing the looking at true media in the morning. Once you wake up (laughs) and looking at true media right before you go, we're going
0: to put Wes on the payroll or something.
2: I mean, we might, we might have to, we might have to see if Georgia can allow that, but as someone who went to an SEC school, I went 2014 to 2018, I was able to see Pete Alonso at UF. I was at the old McKinnon Stadium before they tore it down a couple years ago and built this beautiful facility I've yet to go to because I haven't been to Gainesville in a few years, but I'm excited to, in a few years, be able to go up and see a game at that new ballpark. Like You're right. The revenue sports are kind of growing bigger and bigger. That's a podcast for another day because yeah, it has to do with TV it contracts. Sure. It's a different show, but like you said, they are kind of putting more emphasis on what traditionally had been viewed as a non-revenue sport. Um, whereas I know at Florida, the revenue sports include football, men's basketball, baseball, and softball is actually a revenue sport mm-hmm. in Florida mm-hmm. as well. Yep. So that's a rarity to have that many revenue sports. Yeah, in one got school, few. But but you know, it, it's nice to see them hiring those pe- people who are a bit more open to the analytics. I, I, I want to say post-revolution since I feel like just given what we've seen in college baseball and the growth the past few years of our product. So
0: it's nice to see that. You know, he talks, the way he talks about the data and stuff is just kind of part of the process and it's obviously much easier in baseball than a lot of other sports. Um, But, you know, he talked about one thing I liked is that he talked about tailoring data and information to different pitchers because you know, um, whatever Mike Trout struggles against the high fastball. Well, sure. Maybe it's making this up. Maybe if it's 97 and up, he does, but if you're throwing your fastball at 93, you know, you can't attack the same way. So you gotta, you gotta look at things a little bit differently.
2: It, could, it may be a fastball to you, but that's a change up. correct? <laughs> or, or if
0: your curve moves, you know, a certain direction, a certain velocity, certain spin rate, whatever, certain amount of break, you know, that can be more effective. So having more data is just—it's it's a natural step because you know, coaches have always kind of know, okay, what can he hit, what can he not hit, where where it can, where is holes, etc. Uh, but it's just this natural. Okay, we have more information, so it's not just what kinds of pitches, but. Uh, what are the characteristics of those pitches, whether it's, again, velocity, break, whatever. So baseball is obviously, again, very inclined to all of this, and it's easy, uh, in part because it's just a natural next step, and the data is also there. So you get guys, you know, Wes is whatever, in his 50s, 50-ish, you know, he started his coaching career in the late 90s. Um, so, you know, he's kind of a nice in-between old school and new school and has been able to straddle everything, which I'm sure is part of the reason for his success.
2: I wouldn't call him an old dog, but, you know, it it does break the moniker of you actually can teach an old dog new tricks. It's just a matter of if that dog wants to learn. Yeah.
0: And it's not even new tricks is the way I kind of see it. It's like, look, the best we talk about the communication factor and the best way to get the numbers across is to speak that same language that they're already saying. So, you know, you're already telling guys where the holes in his swings are or something like that and where to attack. We're just giving you a visual for it or we're giving you the numbers like, look, here's why you can't hit in this quadrant. Or here's where his slugging percentage is low. This is the same thing, so that's when it's most effective. You're taking information that is already basically being used, maybe just not explicitly, and turn it into something that you can just hand them or tell them, and they use the exact same way. It's just kind of a plug and play for something they're already doing.
2: There you go. I completely agree with that, and it's it's nice to see them embrace selfishly because
1: <laughs> us right. here at True Media, good for us,
2: they, yeah. right? It's good for us. It's nice to see them embrace you know that side and be able to to use this, I I guess you have to start setting true media with a sleep timer or something because people are going to be, yeah, we're going to
0: turn it off for certain hours of the day. So we'll talk to the
2: devs about the sleep timer option <laughs> we'll see.
0: yep so all right thanks sergio thanks one last time to now georgia's west johnson for being our guest formerly of lsu nice to have you know selfishly three straight national champions using true media products on the college baseball side we have several other college baseball shows in the archives including robin lund then the iowa pitching coach he's now with the detroit tigers we have chip hale the arizona wildcats head coach also used to manage the d-backs you can check those out while you're digging around Please rate review the show where you get podcasts. We had a couple of five-star ratings come in on Apple since our last show. We always appreciate that. And as long as Twitter is around, at least, you can follow us there at True Media Sports. You can email the show value at truemedianetworks.com. On behalf of Sergio de la Esporia and everyone else here at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thank you for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world.